Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas. I am a wife, mom, author, and lifelong educator who has been doing some hard work for two decades. This podcast is about renewing hope, happiness, and belief in education. We get real and talk candidly about ways educators across the globe are working to uproot the education system and making transformational changes for all educators and students. And beyond the why and the what these transformational education leaders are doing, we get into the how you as an educator can drive toward these changes. I am here to take away the pain, exhaustion that too many of us feel day in and day out and rid ourselves of the question if we made the right career choice. Trust me, you did. So let's dig in and ignite the joy, passion, and belief all educators had when deciding to enter a career in education. And let's make some change. So much is possible in education. Welcome back to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I'm Kelly Thomas, and with us today is a really special person in my life. In fact, she's in part of the acknowledgement dedication of my newly published book, Taught, because in the five, six years that we've really gotten to know each other, Dr. Wendy Burhansel has been a source of inspiration for me. We get candid. We talk really passionately about education, and one thing that is really special about our relationship is Dr. Burhansel slash Wendy. I actually was appointed to the school board when Dr. Burhansel was appointed as the interim superintendent of Harrison School District 2. I have since rolled off the school board. Wendy has since been promoted to the superintendent of Harrison School District 2 and is leading the district that not only I work in, but also my kids go to school in, my husband works in, and we live in. And it just means a lot to have your leadership a part of my life, your friendship a part of my life, and getting to see from afar and also close up the extraordinary leader you are and all that you are doing to improve the lives of our students, also the life force of our community, as well as all of the amazing people that work in D2. So Wendy, thank you so much for being here on the podcast, but even more so being a part of my life. I look to you, like I said, for inspiration and guidance endlessly and just love the energy and power that you bring it's a very quiet power, but a power that I just find captivating. So all of that to say, so humbled to have you a part of the show and would love to just kick it to you and have you share with our listeners more about you and what's been your journey in education to lead you to being the Harrison School District 2 superintendent. Thanks, Kelly. I'm honored to be here with you. And there's nothing I like talking more about than education. So (laughs) glad to spend time with you. Ironically, I was not going to go into education. My parents are both educators. So as a teenager, I did not want to do what they were doing, of course. I come from a whole family of educators. My grandfather was a superintendent. My grandma was an English professor. My great grandma was an English professor. So long lineage in education, hence why I did not want to do it. As a teenager, rebellious, you know, you think you know better. So I went to school actually as a math major, I was going to be an actuarial scientist and figure out statistics. I love math and the math was great, but I hated the work. And so I realized my passion was with people and making a difference and giving a voice to people. So I changed my major to education, graduated with an elementary education degree with a reading minor. My whole time, my best friend growing up was a Native American and her father lived on the reservation and her mom suffered from diabetes. So she spent a lot of time 
time with us. And I just realized how many privileges I had having my parents be educators and just have that whole family network and realized what she didn't have. We were supposed to go to college together and she couldn't go because she had to go take care of her cousins who lived on the reservation when her mom had passed. And I just realized the privilege I had, I had to make right of it and do right by people with it because I had something that not everyone got in their life. My tenure in education, I started my teaching in South Central Los Angeles. Again, I was hit in the face with the privileges I had growing up. I taught in South Central 100. 7th Street Elementary is what it was called. There's barbed wire. The playground was pure concrete. There was no grass. We were in bungalows. We didn't have bathrooms. We had to walk like a mile to get to a bathroom because it was such a large campus of 2,000 elementary students. Shootings would happen across the campus. You had to go undercover. Just what these students went through was eye-opening for me and made me realize that our kids, regardless of where they're at, deserve better. And I was one of the teachers that stayed the longest. I stayed there four years. And that was a veteran teacher because there was such turnover and no one wanted to go into that location. From there, I became an assistant principal at Hawthorne Elementary District, which is Southwest of Los Angeles, very diverse also. We had 1200 students in our elementary. I was the assistant principal with one principal and was there for two years. During that time, I also got my doctorate from the University of Southern California, go Trojans. <laughs> but I studied urban education leadership because it is a different type of leadership that's needed to help our students from diverse populations. And I loved my time there. From there, I came to Colorado, was a principal on Fort Carson, actually, at Patriot Elementary. That school serviced, when I was there, the higher end military officers. So the colonel's kids, the general's kids, not a lot of diversity, and they had a lot of privilege. I liked it, but I hated it at the same time because it just wasn't my people. I'm a Title I person, and I'm a community person, and that was not the environment. So during that time, Mike Miles had reached out to me and said, hey, we have some openings, come look at them. So I went to Harrison, and I loved Harrison. I haven't left, obviously, so I really love Harrison. I was principal at two different schools. Each school, when I took over, was low-performing. We turned them into Blue Ribbon and National Title I Distinguished Schools and Urban Schools of Excellence. And when I say we, it's because we, my leadership has always been, it's not me, it's a team and you have to build leaders around you. And I truly believe that's how we've been able to make such a difference. From there, I went to become curriculum instruction assessment officer. So really looking at what are we giving our students and what are we giving our staff for resources? Are we having a rigorous education? Or are we dumbing it down? How are we assessing? How do we know our students are learning? And then really what should they be learning? We know we have standards, but there's so much more besides standards that we need to help. And then from there, I was named interim superintendent, as you mentioned, and then went for superintendent. And I've been superintendent now. I've been in this role since 2018. And we've had a great year, even in spite of COVID. And I think that's an attest to the systems and the people. When people really love what they do, even a pandemic can't wear you down. And so we're doing better than ever and super excited about what this year brings for our students and staff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a journey and so many accomplishments within that. And I, I love hearing this story and I've had the privilege to hear the story multiple times. And again, always re-inspired by what you have allowed your own upbringing to help inform how you approach education. And I think you actually talk about it as 
I think I've heard you say educational privilege. And when we can provide a privileged education, which is what you promise all students, this is what we get. We get this extraordinary leadership for ourselves, for our community. I'm thinking about the last four years. It has been an ebb and flow. You, it's just, it's been, it's been crazy. And so when you were named the full head on superintendent, it was during the pandemic. And yet you mentioned there's been so much growth that has happened. Can you speak to some of the initiatives that you and the other extraordinary leaders in the district have really put forth to help get through the, the pandemic and actually come out of the pandemic in a really extraordinary way? What have been some of those initiatives that you put in that have helped push forward this district? So as soon as the pandemic hit, which everyone knows was March 13th, we heard we're not going back to school for a while. We knew that academics was not the number one thing for our community. It was going to be resources and starting with food security and making sure they had a place to lay their head at night. So we immediately worked with Karen Share, our local food bank, and brought in a food pantry to our high school, Sierra High School. And then we started working with United Way to get phone calls out to see what people needed. We had folks coming in to volunteer if they felt comfortable because this was during COVID where people really weren't sure what's happening and how safe it was. But we had staff coming in to do home visits, to take diapers to families who needed diapers, to take bottles, to take bedding, to take food, whatever it might be. But we really hit our families with the basic needs first. During that time, we did have academics happening in the form of packing that they could pick up, but really we were worried about the well-being and the mental health of our families. So that was the first spring. Then as summer came and we realized COVID wasn't going away, we did online. We got laptops to all our families. We knew internet was a crisis because even if our families have internet, they might have five kids and they can't all use it together or it shuts down and you know you have to take turns. And so we really had to make sure we were creative with what we're asking our families to do at home. And we can't have our kids having to learn themselves without some instruction. So we had teachers online giving them directions. They had check-in times where they could talk to their teacher, talk to a counselor, again, taking care of that mental health and just that check-in. We checked in with our families so many times that our families were like, stop calling me. We are okay. <laughs> but I'd rather that than they say we just disappeared in their lives. So we were constantly checking on our families, seeing what they needed. And it wasn't just education. It was everything. Did you need help with your electricity bill? What's going on with your transportation? So we became everyone a full-time counselor for our families. And that's how we got through the beginning of covid then we came back to school. We were one of the only school districts who really came back, I would say, in full force. And people had the option to be at home that first year. And some took it, more came back because they realized it wasn't ideal for their family situation, particularly elementary. And we dove right in and we continued education because as you say, I always talk about the education privilege. It's something people can't take away from you is your education. And our kids need to make sure that they're keeping up with all their colleagues, that they have every opportunity in life to succeed. And what better way to get back to normal than create the school environment that they're used to. So our kids came back, our staff came back. I'm not going to lie, it was hard with absences with students and staff, but we mustered through it. And then the second year, it was really back to normal minus a few absences here or there. There was a spike over Thanksgiving, but we dealt with it and we just kept the focus on good quality instruction. We also told our staff that relationships have to come first. So in Harrison, we've always prided 
prided ourselves on our relationships, strong with families, strong with students, strong with community. But I think COVID even strengthened that relationship. Our families really saw us as the hub for their support. And our staff has continued those strong relationships. If you walk into any of our classrooms, you'll see relationships are how we enter the room. Relationships are how we deal with struggles. And our students trust our staff and our staff believes in our students. And you can just sense that in any of our classrooms. So from there, we were able to keep the focus on what we needed to keep the focus on, which shows in our assessment results, because our students have regained achievement back to pre-pandemic levels, which most districts cannot say. And many districts didn't know how to deal with COVID. So they unfortunately just went straight to relationships and forgot about academics. But our kids got it all, I would say, plus some. And we're stronger as a district than ever for having gone through that pandemic hand in hand with our families, students, and community. That is amazing. There's there's two things that I want to touch on. Um, but the first being, let's back up a second. Definitely neglected this at the beginning, but let's talk about the demographic of Harrison School District, which I think is super important as it relates to the work, especially within the pandemic, but really the work that the, the school district does within this community. We pride ourselves on our diversity. We are happy to be diverse. We call ourselves diverse, daring, different, and we're okay with that. We're mavericks. We know we're not for everyone, but our student demographics are about 75% of our students receive free and reduced lunch. About 75% of our students are minority. About 22% receive special education services and about 25% receive second language learner services. And an interesting fact that makes our, our work really hard is we have a big mobility group with our families moving from place to place for secure housing. And so out of a graduating class of 250, Maybe only 20, 25 have been there since kindergarten. And so we are getting students and having students leave from K-12 many times ongoing. And so we have to work to not only keep those students we have, who if we can keep them the whole time, they graduate as our valedictorians and salutatorians every year, but we have people entering below grade level every year along the way. And we do everything we can to make up that for them. But our diversity is definitely a strength and we use that within our district as a strength. So true, so true. It's definitely something, I mean, to your point of like, it's not for everyone, sure. I think for mine and Aaron's personal beliefs and core values, the diversity is what drives us to have our students within this district. And we love it so much. So then kind of going back to the conversation, something I'm noticing and I'm picking up on is that you actually use the word family more than you're using the word student. And that's something I didn't think, again, really speaks to your leadership. But as you are thinking about leading this school district and your vision for this district, I think there's something to be said about how you think about the families as it relates to student success. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because again, it was families, 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 our students, families, 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 our students. So yeah, speak to that, that mindset and that approach to student learning. So I think typically school districts feel the student comes to them and that's their main goal. But I think when you serve a community of poverty, you have to take care of the whole family and you have to uplift the whole family and whatever that looks like. It might be food resources. It might be adult ed for the family. So our families send their most precious resource to us. And we need to understand that until those families can work side by side with us, support us, trust us, we can't maximize our impact on students. So really it is a partnership. We see our district as a community district, meaning we work hand in hand with families to change 
change their family outcome, whether that means food security, whether that means jobs, whether that means college for the student or the parents. But we really worked together to maximize and change the dynamics for the whole family setting because that's our job is to better our community, not just in the brick walls within our school. That is great. What are some other celebrations that you have that help to illuminate the great work the district is doing that other school districts maybe who serve a similar population could replicate and or utilize as a resource? So I think it's no secret that working in Title I schools can be a challenge. It can be hard. It can be a struggle. You don't always have room moms, and I'm okay with that. We want families to come and help their kid read every night. We want families to get their kid to school every day. That's our partnership. We were voted best workplace in the city out of 20 school districts, which is a pretty huge deal because that speaks of the culture of working in what could be seen to others difficult school district. But people come here because they love the work they're do. They love the support they get. We have a ton of support for our staff, as you know. We start with New Staff Institute when they come on board. They spend time with mentors in the summer. We have ongoing professional development. Um, This year, our focus is literacy and equity, and we keep everything connected to that. So staff is really supported in multiple ways leading to the outcome of that survey. The other thing we've done because we do think it's important that we have a diverse workforce, is we are working on Grow Your Own programs. So ESP or paras who want to become teachers will pay for them to go back and get their degree or license. We'll place them in a school within our district that's very supportive to help them be successful. We also are helping some of our students who graduated and are in college right now pay for college tuition to then come back and teach where they graduated from, which is so exciting. And then we have Christina Gillette Randall, who was teacher of the year for Colorado, doing our teacher cadet program where we will have our current high school students who really want to look at teaching as a career, have one of the best role models ever as their mentor as they enter that field. So We're just super excited about all those things to help our staff be successful. In terms of our students, I think you have to do things differently based on who you're serving. So we know that we have high poverty population. So we have to get rid of barriers for our students. So how we've done that is we've prioritized general fund and written a lot of grants, but we have free busing, free laptops, free internet, free sports, free clubs, free tutoring, free before and after school care for our elementary kids. So our parents can go to a job and not have to get off at three because no shifts end at three to go get your kid. We also have free breakfast and lunch. And then last year, because we noticed our middle school and high school kids, sometimes we're still hungry. We have what's called the second lunch program. They can go through and get a second lunch for free. Not all of those are funded from grants or from federal or state funds. We've used our general fund, but we really prioritize that our kids need every access to whatever to make them successful. And they need equal access to their peers in other districts. And so we take all those barriers away from our students. Sports is a huge one because cheerleading some places can cost up to $3,000. It's free for us and everyone can be a cheerleader. So really giving kids so much more than just a great education, but all those life experiences to make sure that our kids enter the world ready to go. They've had teamwork, they've had collaboration, they've had problem solving, and they've had the same high school experience other kids might've had. And I would say probably even better. 
I love it. I, I knew of some of those things. Obviously, a lot of these initiatives happened while I was still serving on the school board, but a lot of them haven't. And I love that you are talking about the Grow Your Own program. And I, I have some peers who are taking advantage of this. And so it's been really exciting to see and just hear how invested they are in the district for the fact that the district is investing so much in them. I have not yet spoken to the students, so I'd love to just speak to this teacher cadet program. Maybe we can have Christina on the show one day and have her speak to it a little bit more, but would love to hear what that looks like, because I know that there are other districts across the country are considering this, thinking about it. So yeah, what does this consist of? And what are you learning in the very few months that it's been in existence? So one thing that doesn't surprise me is we have to re-educate people about what being a teacher is. Mm. Um, a lot of our students hear negative things, particularly during COVID from various teachers or people leaving the field and not to devalue any of those comments or feelings, but there's so many great things about being a teacher. And I can't advocate enough that we need smart, smart people in education and great people with great hearts. And so really helping our students see that you can be a teacher. And even within teaching, there's so many different avenues to go. You can teach elementary, you could teach subject specific and secondary, you could be an instructional coach, you could be a SPED teacher. There's so many choices, even within just saying I'm a teacher. And so really helping educate our students and our families about what that opportunity looks like and how valuable it can be for them to come back and teach students that look like them mm -hmm. and for our students to see teachers that came straight from where they are. Example, we have Sierra High School, Nicole Sherbin, she graduated from Sierra. I mean, it doesn't get better than that to have the leader come out of the same system where they're now leading. And it's just exciting for our students to see that and have that same history with their teachers or leaders and can speak of when they had homecoming or what it was like when they went to school. And so really we're in a big city and I know that, but Southeast is really a small little community and pretty tight together. And so it's exciting to see everyone support each other in that and help define education and teacher being a teacher is a great career for our students and families. It, it kind of reminds me of your story. So kind of just going back to the beginning of this, you went from math, actuary, I think that's the word, <laughs> which sounds like it makes me want to cross my eyes and go to sleep. And you went from math to that to people and then get a minor in reading. And, you know, it's just, it's so fascinating for us to think about how different education can be to inspire us. And I just, I think about that journey for you. How did you go from math to people? Like, mm -hmm. it just seems counterintuitive to me, I guess. <laughs> So growing up, I always coached basketball, summer league. So I was always with kids. I did Sunday school. I would tutor some kids as needed. Education, I would say learning came easy for me, but I was a perfectionist. So it wasn't easy enough. I always had to study, but I saw the difference it made when people felt confident or when people learned a skill and just that light in their eyes. I don't think you can take that away from any educator. Everyone who's left the field, I guarantee if you ask, what do you miss most? That's what they're going to say. And you don't get that in other careers. I mean, you get other things, but you don't get to see a first grader be able to read a passage and be so prideful of themselves that they think, you know, they won the Super Bowl. You don't get the high school kid who got the college acceptance to the school of their choice. And now they get to go or they got the scholarship. So they actually can go now. And so I think it's just 
it's a career unlike any other, and you don't find the joy you find in education anywhere else. And just like when I'm having, you know, a rough day or day of meetings, I go into a classroom and everything's great. I just love seeing our kids. I love seeing our teachers and it's a work of heart, but it's a work of art too. And we have some very great educators who just are making a difference every day. And I just want to be a part of that. So glad you are. And I think that's part of the inspiration of how we relearn this, right? Or as we're thinking about these teacher cadets, there is something so powerful about being an educator that, yes, I think we've kind of lost that semblance because of the disconnect that was happening due to COVID and why so many teachers love the work. And suddenly we weren't having that deepened connection. All of that to say, shifting gears a little bit, Going back to your own passion of literacy and then like the initiatives here that you have with D2, literacy and equity, talk about what that means, especially in the context of the district and, and how you are really bringing that to the forefront of your work. So what is it and how are you implementing it? So literacy is, we know, a gateway skill. Prisons are built on literacy rates of third graders, and we don't want to contribute to any more prisons being built. We want our students to be literate and be able to access anything in the world. We also know that our students start school with a big gap, typically with vocabulary and background knowledge. And so we do everything within our power to ensure that our students by third grade have that same access to anything. Once you can read, you can access science, you can access social studies, you can access social media, you can make smart choices on jobs or contracts. And so literacy is just a key skill in the world around us to be able to access and be successful. Research has shown that time after time. And I think during COVID, we've seen less students be become literate because trying to teach kindergarten and sounds online is not the best way to teach that. However, like I said, our students have regained. So we're excited and we focus a lot on the phonics, phonemic awareness, but then it goes beyond that. Once I know how to read, I need to read to understand what I'm reading. And so really for our students, helping with that background knowledge and experience in the world of what is an ocean if I've never been there? What is another country if I've never been there? And so how do we bring those experiences to our students so they can connect what they're reading to some in the real world. For equity work, a lot of districts have brought in an equity officer. And I've struggled with that because it's one sole person who's in charge of then all the work, good or bad. And so I talked to some colleagues at University of Southern California because they've done a lot of this work and asked what works, what are the right steps, what's an idea. And they talked about how an equity council really helps because you have different perspectives, you have different groups that can own the work, share the work, and be advocates of the work. So that's what we did. And I asked Christina Gillette, our former teacher of the year, who's passionate about this work, and Dr. Claudio, who's our HR guy, to lead this work. And they had people apply for the Equity Council. And right now we have 18 people on the council and their work really is to expose our ugly, find the gaps. Where are the inequitable practices? Are they in policy? Are, what does the data tell us? Interestingly enough, our Hispanic students graduate higher than our white kids here in Harris. Our students in minority outperform our white students many times. However, in discipline, our students, particularly boys of color, are having more referrals, suspensions, and expulsions than they're in within the student enrollment group. So we looked at that data. We uncovered that data. We've shared it with admin, with teachers, and talked about what are our strategies to change that because we can't just talk about it. And so we've given strategies. One is teaching all staff about unconscious bias and understanding that sometimes how we treat students is how we grew up versus maybe understanding their culture and where they're coming to us from. The 
other thing we've done is look at our suspensions. Instead of suspending kids, let's look at other options. So we started student success centers where they can rehabilitate per se in the school. You know, I like the saying, I don't remember who it's from, but we don't send students who don't read home and think they come back knowing how to read. So we have students misbehaving, send them home and think they come home, come back behaving. That doesn't work. They need us to guide them through that behavior, guide them through next steps. There's probably more going on that we can uncover. So in these student success centers, we have counselors, we have special paras, we have mentors from the community with street cred per se that they could trust and learn from. And it's really worked well for our students to realize I'm not acting up and getting out. So I might have struggles, I might have frustrations, but acting up isn't going to help you. So now I have to face it but I have supports here to help me face it. And so our equity group is really looking at what are our changes we're seeing and just continuing to push the envelope. There's lots of different groups we know, but immediately we saw a gap with our students of color, particularly boys, having over-identified suspensions, referrals, and expulsions. And we've already seen a huge decrease, but we can even do so much better and we'll continue to do better. But I call it owning our ugly because you have to be vulnerable. You have to tell that story and it's okay. Everyone has ugly, but until you own it, you can't move forward and you can't do right by all kids. So again, the equity group is really making sure every student has what they need, regardless of their background or barriers they might face, because all our students deserve nothing but the best. Thank you for sharing that. It makes me super excited. And I think leads really well into this final question of the podcast, which is what advice do you have for educators right now to help them reignite a sense of hope for what education can be, what is possible in education? I am reminded of this advice every day is remember your why of why you got into education. Why did you want to get into a field where you can change lives literally on a minute by minute basis? And then remember the stories. Remember the good stories you've had. Take a journal and every time you change a student's life and you know, write a story about it. So then when you're having your bad days, you can go back and see, oh, wow, I remember when Juan didn't know how to read and I taught him when he was in sixth grade how to read. Or I remember when Juanita did this, but there is too much good to let the bad moments overwhelm you. And so we need the best of the best in education. Our society, our world depends on it. And every field has hardships, every field you'll go into, but I can guarantee no field has such great moments like education. So make sure you capture those, remember those and use those to get through any hard times you might face. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you. Is there anything else, Winnie, that you want to add or say, knowing that you have this platform before we head off? I would like to thank all educators, whether you're a bus driver, a principal, a teacher, a nutrition worker, anyone who touches our students, thank you. You are unsung heroes. You get more criticism than many, and you get way more criticism than you deserve. So thank you, thank you for doing what I say is miraculous work with our students. It's life-changing. You're developing our next society. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart. We need each of you. And so the second thing with that is just, we need to become the best advocates for education and we need to uphold each other and support each other because many don't understand the work we do and how important it is. And 
So we just need to work together to make sure that we're doing best by kids, regardless of what school district they might go to, regardless of their background, our students deserve the best from all of us. Mm, Thank you so much. And thank you. I mean, honestly, all the work that you are doing, it, it really is impacting and changing lives on so many accounts. So thank you, Wendy. And thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much. It was my, my pleasure. Wendy, thank you so much for being a guest on today's podcast. Here are the takeaways. Number one, leadership is we, not me. We don't succeed in this work without a team. Number two, basic resources sometimes have to outweigh academics. Once those resources are in place, including tending to the mental health as well as the physical and emotional well-being of our students and their families, more learning can happen. Number three, trusting relationships have to come first. When we build trust with our students and their families, we can maximize our students' success. Education is not just about preparing our students within the brick walls of our schools. It is about preparing our community. Number four, teaching is hard and an art. Number five, own your ugly. We all have it. Once we own it, we can do something with it and move forward in order to do right by all kids. Number six, remember your why. Why did you choose this field? A field where you can change lives. Number seven, there is so much good in education to let the bad overwhelm you. Capture these stories. Let these stories help you remember your why. And number eight, thank you. Thank you for doing miraculous, life-changing work. Thank you.